my why of exercise had not necessarily anything to do with the way I looked. It was more that I was a drug addict and I was miserable with who I was on the inside and the outside. That fitness became a great tool to give me a sense of purpose, sense of meaning, to lift me up and lift me up mentally and emotionally and spiritually in ways that I never thought I could have imagined. And it literally saved me from a place of feeling of hopelessness. But then when I began on my fitness journey, I became so obsessed about the way I looked and about just vanity. And again, that not to say that's not important because it's still, I'm not gonna lie, I'm still a little vain in that way where I like to look a certain way, but it's not the end all be all for me. Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise, a podcast brought to you by Orlo Nutrition. We believe that nutrition shouldn't be an either or, that you should never have to sacrifice your morals for your health or that of our home planet. Join natural products veteran Karina Belizzi and experts from around the globe as they discuss healthy solutions that are better for you and better for the planet. Welcome to another interview episode of Nutrition Without Compromise. Today, I'm joined by an incredible human with a transformation story that will blow your mind. I'm thrilled to introduce you to Doug Bost. Doug is an award-winning personal trainer, best-selling author, and podcaster who is on a crusade to transform and to inspire. Doug has been featured in many media outlets from NBC's Today Show to Men's Health and podcasts, some of my favorites, including Rich Roll, Impact Theory, and even Dave Asprey's show, The Human Upgrade. His own show, the Adversity Advantage Podcast, offers insightful resources to all people who seek to better themselves. It is with great honor that I introduce you to Doug Bobes. Welcome to the show, Doug. Karina, thanks for having me. I've had the opportunity to listen to you on some of my favorite podcasts. And I just have to say, I really appreciate the story that you have told. You've written this out for anybody who really wants to dig into it in a book called From Felony to Fitness to Free. How hard was it to open yourself up to being so very transparent about these difficult moments of your life? It was super challenging at first because back in 2008, 2009, when I started to really change my life, a lot of this was still so stigmatized. People looked down on people who smoked pot and people looked down on people who were convicted felons and went to jail. And obviously some of that still exists now, but it was way worse back then. I think we've come a long way from where we were 10, 15 years ago. And so the thought of me sharing my story with people that I trained and people that maybe I didn't know, it was hard for me because I thought that if I told somebody that I was a convicted felon or that I used to do drugs or that I spent time in jail or any of the other things that I did that I wasn't proud of as a kid that I initially thought people would judge me for that. Mm-hmm. And early on in my personal training career, I had the benefit of training, trained some amazing people throughout the course of my career. But early on, I, some of my clients were very instrumental in my ability to share my story. One of my clients, I remember I was having dinner with her and she was somebody that I really trusted. We really connected well. She knew part of my story just because she opened up about part of hers and I shared part of mine. And I remember her telling me, she was like, Doug, the people that judge you for sharing your story and for the mistakes you made in your past, they're not meant to be in your life in the future. And that really stuck with me because it was like, if I had people in my life that were judging me based on something that I did years ago or judging me from my rock bottom moment and before I had become who I was at that point in my life, 
Like, why would I want to spend time with them? Right. So that was one big moment for me. The, the second big moment was I was training another lady and she was somebody that would always invite me over for dinner for the holidays. I would train her kids, trained her, and she valued me a lot. And I had a great relationship with her as well. She almost was like a second mom to me. But I was nervous to tell her like why I got into fitness because I thought that she was going to judge me. Like I said, that was my fear going into it unless somebody already kind of knew. And I remember sharing my story with her and she was like, I thought the world of you before you told me that. Now I think even more of you, even more of you because of what you shared. And that just started to snowball a bit. And then I became more open with my personal training clients about my story. And then as I did some like local press, like local newspapers would come and do do features on my story, local, share my story with like local television channels and some of the local television channels. And then what I found was people related to it. And I wouldn't get messages like, oh, you're a piece of crap, or I can't believe you did those things. It was like, wow, like, thank you for sharing. Like you've inspired me. Thank you for sharing. Like I now have hope for my son. Thank you for sharing. Like I now have hope for my loved one. Thank you for sharing. Like it made me feel better about myself. Right. In your book, From Felony to Fitness to Free, you're very open about that entire path and even the beginning of your transformation, which was really meeting someone who was willing to share the hard truths with you and be hard on you, your cellmate Eric in prison. So do you want to talk for a moment about that and how meaningful that particular relationship was and perhaps why? Yeah, of course. I mean, when I walked into jail my first day in there, I cried because I didn't want to go in. And the day I left, I cried because I didn't want to leave. And during the first few weeks of my 90 day sentence, I not only had to battle with a lot of the demons that I was carrying with me and all the thoughts that were going through my head about what could potentially happen in jail, I also had a horrific opiate addiction to kick cold turkey. So a lot of that was very challenging and detoxing off of Oxycontin cold turkey. It was like having the worst case of the flu, uncontrollable bowel movements, vomiting, sleepless nights, shaking, anxiety, depression, like everything that you could possibly think of that comes with that. And during my early days there, my soon-to-be cellmate, Eric, was sitting there playing Scrabble. And I remember he looked at me and he was just like, what are you doing here? He, he was just asking me questions because I guess he like looked at me like he was like curious as to like why I was in there. Maybe he like just didn't think I fit in or whatever. And I started to share a little bit about why. And then he was like, okay. And he could tell I was like a lot less confident than I am now. Like, like now I'm, I would say I'm pretty well-spoken. I'm pretty articulate with the way I speak. But back then, super quiet, shoulders rounded forward wouldn't look somebody in the eyes, was very like hesitant to speak and to share things. And he was like, all right, man, well, when you get through your detox, because he knew I was detoxing from, from Oxycontin, he's like, you're going to start working out with me. And I was just like, man, there's no way. And it wasn't a question. It wasn't even an invitation. It was like, this is what's happening. Yeah. And I just told him, I'm like, listen, man, I've never formally really exercised consistently. And at the, at the time I could have been a model for Pillsbury. And I was just embarrassed about who I had become as a person. I was like, there's no way I'm going to want to exercise with you. He's like, all right, man. And then the conversation that really changed my life was after I saw him work out not too long after that, and he was just an insane with some of the stuff he could do in the in jail. But we had a conversation in the jail cell that he was asking me more about my story. And I started to share, I started to blame everybody for my problems. I started blaming my parents for being divorced. I started blaming kids who picked on me. I started blaming girls who wouldn't go out with me. I started blaming like the sports teams that I didn't make, like all the stuff that I was, I was taking all the blame off of myself and putting it on to other people, which is very common when people are going through hard times. And he said something to me, and I'll keep it kind of PG just for the sake of your audience, where <laughs> he was like, he told me to stop being a victim. 
And when he said that to me, I was in shock because I thought that I was right. And I thought everybody else was wrong and that it was their fault that I was here. And then also like in that moment, I wanted to be coddled. I wanted him to like pat me on the back and McDougie, like, it's okay. Like those people are, they're at fault and the world's a dark place and it's okay. Like you should have done what you, like all that stuff. But I got the exact opposite. He was like, you're blaming every single person for your problems, except for yourself. He said, there's plenty of people in life that go through what you went through that aren't in jail. Right, Doug? And I'm like, yep. He was like, so you made choices based on your circumstances that got you here. And while it was really hard for me to hear, I knew it was true because I did know that there was a lot of things I probably could have done different, even though maybe I didn't think I had the courage or confidence to do those things, I still am like, well, yeah, I definitely made some poor choices. Well, it sounds like he is perhaps an early promoter of this idea of radical responsibility, of taking supreme ownership for your own actions and where you are in your life. And that is a concept that's very hard for young people often to accept and ingrain, to break bad habits or to break this cycle of blame. Because when you're in a cycle of blame, you remain the victim, regardless of what you might, you might know better, but you're kind of stuck in that. And that, I think, becomes so many people's experience. And to your point, taking this differently, hearing from someone directly that's telling you those hard truths, it opened an opportunity for you to change. And so rebuilding that confidence, I would love for you to share more specifically about how fitness and this one man enabled you to kind of work to break those bad habits, rebuild that confidence, because it doesn't come from a single source. It's, this is something that you you would need support to ingrain and to keep kind of pace in prison and then after you would leave. So let's talk about that. Let's deepen that. Right. And I think self-confidence comes from doing things that you're afraid of, that you know that are good for you, like in doing them anyway. And then like once you achieve those things, once you like you step foot into the arena, if you will, and actually try you learned to feel good about yourself because now you're like, all right, I know I should have been doing this and I am doing this. And I'm actually showing myself some level of self-love and self-care, right? Because I deserve that. And with him, what he taught me is that no one's coming to save me. He taught me that no one's coming to rescue you. And I think a lot of times in life, like when we're in these low moments, we want someone to literally pull us out of a ditch and then just carry us the entire way. And I take spirituality and religion out of it because obviously I'm a Christian. I believe in God and I think there's some help there. But I'm talking just from like a human experience perspective. And the issue is that like so much growth, so much character, so much fortitude, all these things that, that shape us as humans come from navigating hard times and going through tough times. And so when he said that to me and then told me I had two choices, I could either be a man, look at myself in the mirror and say that I made these choices to get myself here, or go be a victim and cry in the corner. It allowed me to say, okay, like, what do I want? Like, I've been doing this path of, of my life for so long that it's gotten me here. So let me choose something different. And then so when I started to exercise, the thought of me being able to do a set of 10 push-ups and run a mile, which was the goals that we set, like, while at the beginning of my fitness journey in jail, like that seemed like climbing Mount Everest to me. That seemed so insurmountable. It seemed like something that I was never going to be able to achieve. And so what happened was we went out to the common area of the jail. He's like, all right, man, get down and do a push-up. I couldn't do a push-up and I collapsed because my core was weak. I had some excess body fat. I mean, obviously I was way out of shape. And then 
I would get up and go like take a break, walk up and down the steps, could barely walk up and down the steps. And then we just worked at that like slowly but surely. And then I finally was able to do like a, a push up from my knees, which I'd never been able to really do. And then that now gave me some confidence because I'm like, wow, like before I couldn't do this thing. Now I can. Now I'm feeling better about myself. So what's next? Like, I didn't think I could do a, a push up from my knees. I did. So let's do two. Let's do three. Let's do four. And then I start stacking these wins on top of each other. You start stacking these new levels of confidence. And then by the time I was able to do a set of 10 push-ups for my knees, then we moved on to doing a traditional push-up for my feet. And then of course, same kind of thing happened. I was able to finally do a push-up for my feet and then start stacking these even more small wins. And then you get to a place where you're like, holy crap, like a month ago or whatever the time was, a month and a half, two months ago, I could barely walk up and down the steps. I could barely hold myself up. And now I'm able to do a set of push-ups without stopping. I'm able, because I was also like, we would break it up where we one part of the day we would do calisthenics, the push-up stuff. And another part of the day I would work on like my cardiovascular conditioning where I would, you know, you start with just walking around the loop in the inside the jail and then that turns into a jog, then that turns into like jogging a few laps and that turns into running. And then you, again, you start stacking these same small wins like I did with the push-ups. And sure enough, I'm able to like run a mile by the time my jail sentence is over. And then all of that, like just built so much confidence and self-esteem in me. And what it also did, Karina, which I think is even more important, is it taught me how to like reattach behavior to emotion. And this is really important for people because I think what happens, and it's happened to me, it happens to a lot of people, is that our brain sometimes is defaulted to certain things. We all have our things we reach for when we're going through a hard time. For me, it was drugs. So anytime I got anxious, anytime I got depressed, anytime I got stressed, anytime I got into a fight with my family or whatever it was, my initial thing to cope was drugs because they that my body knew that that would make me feel better. In jail, I was stripped of all that. Couldn't do that. So now it's like, how do I manage my emotions and self-regulate in there? Well, I couldn't start a fight because I get the crap beaten out of me. I couldn't lash out at prison guards because I would get more time or end up in solitary confinement. I couldn't have a negative coping mechanisms necessarily. So fitness became this great tool for me that when I got stressed or when I was worried about the future or when I was having hard times, that I could channel some of this negative energy into something positive. And because I did it enough times while I was in there, it rewired my brain to where when I got out of jail and stress was still there, even more stress, because now I'm like, holy crap, like I don't have the prison walls to guard me from the world. I don't have my cellmate to guide me. I have to learn how to, to, to live again. Like a lot of stress and anxiety comes with that. And then it was like, all right, I'm stressed or I'm anxious. Let's go. Where can I go for a walk or a run? Where can I carve out like some space to do some push-ups? And then that it just changed my life because now like I did what I think is one of the hardest things for people to do in recovery is like learning how to manage their emotions again. Without dulling them. Yeah. And the other thing, it was like, I just never had any self-discipline. I never was able to see something through because I was so impatient because I, my brain was just wired for instant gratification. Like I wanted to feel so good in the moment, no matter what I had to do, whether it was through food, whether it was through drugs, whether it was through just causing drama amongst people I knew, whatever it was, I just needed to feel some sort of rush quickly that that, tra that translated over into jobs, my jobs, like I had 21 jobs by the time I was 21 years old. 
Like I would just start a job, I quit because they didn't like it. Or I was like, well, I'm selling drugs. Like I can make way more money doing that. Or I would get fired for not showing up, like whatever the case was. So exercise and discipline and all the stuff that I was doing in jail with the help of my cellmate, like trained me on the importance of self-discipline and how that actually is as hard as it is and as hard as people think it can be, the gain you get from it from like a life level is life-changing because now you're able to stick to things that you know you should be doing on a daily basis. Yes. One of the things you talk about a lot on your own podcast is how becoming physically active and reaching this next level and being able to say, okay, well, now I moved from doing one push up to 10, that it gave you a level of confidence where you really could walk with your shoulders back and your chest out and, and carry with you a certain confidence that would ultimately help you abate some of these negative feelings and the self-deprecating or self-doubt kind of thoughts that might come into your mind otherwise. Another thing you talk about is the fact that fitness often precedes the better health choices with regard to nutrition. And I know as a personal trainer, you likely confront this with the people you serve as well. So I wondered if you could talk about that first, because I think your take two on trying to eat healthy in prison was quite interesting. But then when you were able to come out of that world and have a cornucopia of food available to you, I know you sometimes went for the Big Mac or whatever else, but you're going into a more healthy pattern of eating, which would then also support you. Given the show is called Nutrition Without Compromise, I figured it would be nice to cover that. Right. Well, it's interesting because I went from, you know, before I was in jail, my diet consisted of like cheesesteaks and pizza and fast food and delicious, but <laughs> yeah, convenience store <laughs> snacks and all the whole nine yards. And then when I was in jail, like you kind of hinted at, I was kind of put on a quote unquote diet where, you know, I wasn't allowed to eat like the bread and some of the, you know, starches and the process, some of the processed food that was available like in jail. And then while also having conversations with my cellmate who was very knowledgeable in the world of health and fitness, he was guiding me on like what I was going to be eating when I got out. And he was giving me like kind of a plan on what, I mean, not a plan. I mean, I guess like just a, some guidelines on what to do. And then he recommended some some fitness magazines that I could pick up so I could just see, like learn more about health and nutrition. And I was all in and that became great, but it also became an, my Achilles heel because with the addict mind and just how obsessive I was, I worried that if I went off my nutrition plan or if I didn't exercise, that I was going to go back to the person that I was, which I didn't want to do. So early on, there was no wiggle room for me to eat anything other than what I knew to be quote unquote healthy, because I equated that that if I ate like cookies or if I ate pizza, that that was like something the old Doug would do. And that I was going to end up going back to who that person was, which I, I, I didn't want to do. So when I got out, it wasn't like I was eating all organic and grass fed this grass fed that I was just making better choices naturally, like breakfast was oatmeal and eggs, which was a total improvement from before I was in jail. I, sometimes I wouldn't even eat breakfast. And it wasn't in a constructive way where I was like intermittent fasting. It's just like I wouldn't eat, right? And then I would just binge later on in the day. Or I would eat like Pop-Tarts or I would, you know, get like Egg McMuffins and stuff. And not that there's anything wrong with that, like every once in a while, but I was doing that regularly. So there was that. And then like lunch, honestly, I think initially lunch was like like a turkey sandwich and like a whole wheat bread or something like that with like some fruit. And then dinner was always like a protein and, and some vegetables and maybe like a, like a healthy starch or something like that. And then some like healthy snacks in between. 
but then I became so obsessive that I was like, all right. Like, I mean, to most people, that's a great start, right? I mean, I would say like if most Americans ate like that, I would say that we might not have the, the obesity epidemic that we're, that we're in now, right? But I would be obsessive about making small changes. Like I would always want to get better and better myself. It's like, all right, there's got to be a way to take this to the next level. And I did that for a while and, and just it got to a place where I was only eating like certain foods. And I got to a place where I was incredibly like ripped from a body fat percentage. I know we've talked about this kind of before, but I was physically healthy, but I was still like mentally and emotionally unhealthy in some ways. Because you had essentially turned your eating patterns and exercise patterns into a disorder. Right. And they call that now it's like orthorexia, right? And I think that's what happened to me. Again, not that there's anything wrong with like being hyper-focused on eating super well. As long as you have like a life outside of that, like I didn't. Like I was like hiding like in my room, I mean, not literally hiding, but just I'm just using that as a as a figure of speech, like and not going out to eat with like friends which again, I think is unhealthy because we all know the, the power of like social interaction and just having fun with friends and, and not being too restrictive. Or if I was traveling, I would take like frozen chicken breasts and broccoli on planes, which again, like nothing wrong with that if that's what you do. For me, it wasn't because I was competing in a bodybuilding competition at the time or I like just loved doing that. It was more because I was worried that if I ate anything outside of my plan, that I was going to gain weight or I was going to go back to being the old version of me. And then it got to a place where I just was miserable and I was confused because I was like in my was like early to mid 20s. And I thought that as a kid, when I was going through all the stuff I was going through, that if I could get to a place where I was incredibly ripped and that I was making good money, which I was as a personal trainer at that time, and that I was like getting attention from pretty girls that I would be happy because that's what I wanted as a kid is I thought that I just wanted the girls to like me. I wanted to not be called fat and being bullied in school. And I wanted to obviously make some money in a way that was legal that I could actually live a good life. And then I got to a place where I was like, why am I not happy? Like I'm doing all the things. I can't be eating any healthier. I'm like exercising like a machine, like all the stuff. And what I realized is I had used that as a little bit of an escape to almost like hide from a lot of the stuff that I hadn't dealt with. And not that my life was going bad. I mean, my life was still going really well, but I was like randomly anxious at times. I was holding on to a lot of guilt, resentment, and shame around um, who I was as a person. And even though I started to share my story and stuff, there was still a lot of it that I was like, man, like, I can't believe like I did some of that stuff. Or there was like this level of cognitive dissonance that existed where I would get some really nice compliments about how attractive I was or how I looked like celebrities that were super attractive. And I wouldn't believe it because I still saw like the old version of me in the mirror. And, and that forced me to do some deeper work on myself mentally, emotionally, and spiritually and start to not only unpack some of that, but begin to redefine who I was as a person and, and, and be able to like rewire some of these thoughts and patterns that I had just created through survival and just through the way I live my life so that fitness wasn't the end all be all for me, even though I'm still a trainer now and I still exercise, you know, you know, anywhere between four and six days a week, it wasn't my life. I didn't want it to be my life anymore. I wanted to be part of my life, just something that I did as, as part of everything else. And that's where I think people you touched on, I think we were talking about this because you said you heard me talk about this on Dave Asprey's podcast. And one of the things that I think is a slippery slope for people is that if people aren't comfortable with who they are, like without fitness, then it's very easy for fitness to be a drug and for the way you look 
to be used as a drug and to get addicted to the external validation that can come from being fit, right? And again, I want to preface this, like I still like to maintain like a low level of body fat percentage. I'm all about like looking good in the mirror, 100%. However, from my experience, if I don't like like myself or who I am, and I don't have other hobbies, I don't have other things going for me, and it's negatively in that that part of my life is negatively impacting other areas, then I think it's important to take a look into that. And that's something that that I did. And once I did that, I realized that I wasn't the same Doug anymore. And then I completely changed. So it didn't matter if I had a cookie or not. I wasn't going to go back to the, being the guy that was selling drugs, addicted to drugs, the one that was manipulating people and lying to people and who's in jail. And I realized that I had changed and that I was more attractive physically, that I did value you know things that were positive in my life. I was a good person. I had good people in my life. And once I started to realize that, then my relationship with food changed to where I was able to then say, okay, like I can have some pizza. I can you know, go out and eat a cheeseburger if I want. I can fill in the blank. And ironically, I thought I would be more miserable by doing that because I thought I would just gain all this weight or I would end up like going down the, the same path I did before, but I, I become much happier. And I've actually learned to appreciate things a lot more because I wasn't having all this stress about being so restrictive with my health and fitness. Wow. I have to say, just to share a part of my own personal story, which I don't often do on this particular show, but I have been a marathon runner. I used to compete in mountain biking. I also have been one of those so-called gym rats who got to the point where suddenly all the other gym rats are giving you that appreciative nod. Like suddenly you're one of the class, even without really thinking about it because you've got a certain level of what you're able to lift and what you're able to do. And there's almost this camaraderie of mutual respect that comes from those other people who are spending all of their time, resources, energy at the gym and trying to be their best physical, like most fit, best looking in the mirror type self. And have had to make a choice to put a little bit more balance into my life, having two young children at home and work responsibilities. And at first too, I was probably walking the path of being too focused on never taking a break, never having that hamburger, never having a little bit of pasta, even though this might be what my kids really want to enjoy. While I make a healthier version than most might in their homes, you know, we're often cooking everything from scratch. But when you don't give yourself that mental break to just be in a sense with your family, enjoy the moment and not kind of vigilantly focus on this nearly unattainable, consistent perspective that you can, in a way, turn your fitness or your eating habits into an unhealthy obsession that makes you perhaps a little bit difficult to be around, impossible to dine out with, <laughs> among other things. So I applaud you. I think having that bit of balance in your life too, and being able to take that moment and say, I don't necessarily need to be the perfect picture at every second of my life can actually open you up to being more balanced. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate you sharing your story on that as well. And I think a lot of people, they struggle in silence on this because it's not easy to open up when you're at a gathering with friends or somebody's calling you on the phone and you're, you've gotten so hyper obsessed with your health journey because of maybe the way you feel about yourself or something that happened in the past, like whatever it was, that it's not easy to say, hey, listen, like I'm really afraid of coming out because I'm like scared that if I eat like a piece of pizza, 
that I'm going to gain weight or I'm going to end up being the person that I used to be. And then I'm just admitting that you're having some problems, right? And you're having a hard time mentally and emotionally. That's hard to, to admit. And especially with something like food where, you know, there's a lot of people that don't have an unhealthy relationship with food that maybe can't relate or can't understand. And then they either make you feel worse or they're like, you know, come on, you'll be okay. And it's not like they're able to like really fully understand like where you're coming from. And I found that out, you know, throughout my journey with that. But I remember like one of my like best friends to this day still saying something to me that again, like shifted stuff for me was, um, and I've been very thankful to have some, some amazing people in my life that have been mentors and provided some great advice to me. And he said, he's like, Doug, why do people train with you? And cause I was so caught up in like my body fat percentage and how I looked in the mirror and all these things. He's like, why do people train with you? I'm like, cause of my story. He's like, does anybody ever like train with you because of how many abs you have or how big your biceps are? And I was just like, no. <laughs> and he was like, well, what's your point? Like, you know, he's like, so what are you worried about? And I remember him being like, and he was like giving me some tough love, but he was also one of my closest friends. And he knew that I was having a hard time with all this because we had talked about it. Obviously as a trainer, you want to be in decent shape, right? I mean, I think it's just part of the job. And I worried that if I was going to go off on my diet, that I was going to be seen as quote unquote a fraud. Like it was, I would run into like people I knew from the gym at like an ice cream shop. They're like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, ice cream, you know? And <laughs> But I remember in certain moments, I felt this sense of shame because I was like, oh my gosh, like, are they going to go and tell everybody at the gym they saw me eating ice cream? And now like, I'm going to be seen as somebody who's a fraud. And, and that was another layer to it because I was a health and fitness professional. What I will say though, and I think it's important that one of the biggest mistakes I see people make with nutrition with anything is they try to go from zero to a hundred. Like you're a marathon runner, right? I guarantee you like day one of your running, you weren't like, yeah, I'm not going to go run a marathon today. It's you started with running a few miles and then you worked your way up, right? Eventually to running a marathon. Nutrition, I think it's funny. People try to do that where they're like, all right, I'm going to cut out all processed foods. I'm going to go all organic. I'm going to do this cleanse. I'm going to drink that juice. I'm going to do this. Yeah couch to marathon in eight weeks or something like that, right? <laughs> right. And it's just not realistic. And the benefit that I had was I saw the value in taking small steps. Like in jail, it wasn't like day one, I, the goal was to do a set of 10 pushups. Like day one, the goal was, all right, let's see where you're at. And let's see if you can do a pushup from your knees. And then I started to stack those small wins. And so my brain knew that, okay, like you just got to start somewhere and work with where you're at and then just build off of that. So that's why like when I got out of jail, you... You didn't hear me say like, I just went full on like pescatarian or Mediterranean diet, like day one. It was like, no, like I'm just going to eat better than where I was. I'm going to eat as healthy as I can, but I'm not going to do it too restrictive when I get out of jail. Like I'm still going to have bread. I'm still going to have oatmeal and, and stuff like that. And then I started to slowly incorporate different themes into that where I would, you know, try certain diets or I would try intermittent fasting. And all of that was great because it taught me a lot, a lot of experience dieting. And I also, it taught me about like works for my body and what doesn't. The problem though, was because I wasn't necessarily doing it from a exploration perspective. It was like, I wanted to do it because I wanted to get ripped. And I wanted to see if me making these certain tweaks in my diet would get me even more ripped. And because I wasn't comfortable with who I was without fitness and without the body, that became detrimental to me. So I just wanted to make sure that I said that because as we're on a show about nutrition, one of the biggest mistakes I see with people, clients, people on the internet, is that they, they go from somebody who hasn't been into health for like the last 20 years, or they've been eating out and eating like crap, I guess you could say for, for decades. And then day one of like the new year, they're like, well, I'm going to cut everything out. 
And it's just totally not sustainable. And it's also, I think it's poor for people's self-esteem because they end up failing. I mean, if you set yourself up for failure right away. I want to touch on this too, because I think there are a couple of different plans out there that are broadly successful, at least in the early stages. Like I'll bring up one, for example, Weight Watchers. Many people choose to start with Weight Watchers. And I did in my mid-20s try them out just to see what it was like because I felt like I had some issues. I had an unhealthy relationship with certain foods. It didn't work well for me because it was too easy to obsess over points. Now, that being said, one of the things they do, and which I think is kind of a theme from what we've talked about and also from your podcast, is that they have you start with activity first before they even address your points, so to speak. Like They're not telling you to cut everything out of your diet at the same time that you're becoming active. Because especially if you're trying to do both things at once, like let's say you said, oh, I want to become a marathoner, but I'm also not going to eat pasta or pizza or any grains. And I'm going to do this all with like vegetables and fruits and lean meats. Then they're going to bonk their heads against some immense brick wall when suddenly they're trying to train past the eighth mile and they don't really have the glycogen stores in their muscles to be able to manage it. So they've set themselves up for failure by trying to do everything at once. And so I feel, and I think this will resonate with people, that having that incremental kind of approach to your fitness can be quite healthy, especially in the beginning stage, as long as you don't turn it into an obsession or the point system or how many calories you're burning or how many minutes you've been able to run at full bore or something like that become an unhealthy level. And so perhaps, I don't know if this is something you have confronted or if you have tools for this, is there some way or something that you could offer as advice from experience to prevent turning, let's say, nutrition or that fitness enthusiasm into an obsession? or into something that's unhealthy. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things you said. I think the Weight Watchers thing, I think Weight Watchers can be really, really effective because it gives you a couple of things. Community, you have accountability and you have community with, with, with like-minded people that are looking to, to achieve the same thing. They, they have some sort of plan where you're able to track certain things and you're able to actually like see where you're at. Like it's a big mistake I think people make with, with nutrition and fitness is they don't track anything or they don't have any kind of plan on what they're doing. And so they're just like throwing darts at an empty target. Right. And so they have a plan and it's incremental, like you said, and there's, they have a system. And, and again, if you're somebody that is hyper obsessive about the points and about even like counting calories, then obviously that plan isn't going to be sustainable for you. But I think overall, I think there is some good themes with Weight Watchers. And as far as not being totally obsessive, I mean, I think there's a couple things. One, like I think in fitness and in health and in nutrition, we think that there's like this finite destination that we're going to get to a certain place with our health and then that's going to be it. And it's just not the, not the case. Like I think the people that last the longest with this and that are the happiest are the ones that see it as a journey. They see it as like a lifelong thing so that they know that if they are consistent with exercise and eating well, most of the time that long-term they're going to be okay. So that if they're at a family party, they're not as obsessed about whether or not they eat a piece of cake or pizza or wings or whatever it is, because they know, okay, like I know that tomorrow, or I know that my next meal is going to be a healthy meal because I'm committed to this for the rest of my life. Like I don't have this, this goal to where I want to get to a certain place, my body fat percentage and just show everybody what I look like. And then that's it. It's more like I'm going to be doing this the rest of my life. And we can keep going. Like I'm fine on time. And I also think that being able to have certain tools to lift yourself up and build self-confidence 
along the way is, is super important and not just with fitness, like having good relationships with your family, having you know, to the best of your ability, having like people that you spend time with that are like-minded, that are supporting you, that are holding you accountable. You know, not being afraid to go to therapy if you need to, if you find yourself having like some some unhealthy um, stuff going on in your life. Just making sure that you have other hobbies other than fitness and, and nutrition. That way, like you have other things to fill your cup with. And then I think that it's also very important for people to really develop a deep like why as to why they're starting this journey. Hmm. Because once you master that, a lot of the other stuff, it becomes so much easier. And a lot of times what happens is somebody's why versus what they're doing is completely opposite. I'll give you an example. For me, my why of exercise had not necessarily anything to do with the way I looked. It was more that I was a drug addict and I was miserable with who I was on the inside and the outside. That fitness became a great tool to give me a sense of purpose, sense of meaning, to lift me up and lift me up mentally and emotionally and spiritually in ways that I never thought I could have imagined. And it literally saved me from a place of feeling of hopelessness. But then when I began on my fitness journey, I became so obsessed about the way I looked and about just vanity. And again, that not to say that's not important because still, I'm not gonna lie, I'm still a little vain in that way where I like to look a certain way, but it's not the end all be all for me. And so what I was doing, as far as like when I talked about how I hit this moment where I realized that fitness wasn't everything for me, I was just doing it strictly for the vanity. And it was so disconnected from my why, right? I wasn't doing it now because to help build my self-confidence or to better myself necessarily. It was more because I wanted to do it just to look a certain way. And so for people to get really clear on that why, I think it'll take you a long way because now you're able to take to zone out a little bit and have some perspective and say, okay, like, Yes, losing weight is important to being healthy and potentially, right, depending on where you're at and also because you want to feel or look a certain way. But there's so much more to fitness than that that somebody can be focused on. Improvement in relationships, energy levels, sleep, job performance, how they feel about themselves, health vitals, all the things that can all typically are all included in the quote unquote why of why somebody wants to start a fitness journey. I've worked with so many people throughout the years and I've had a lot of deep conversations with people. And yes, like a byproduct of some of these goals are weight loss or looking better. And I think a lot of people obviously want that partly, but the main thing at, at the core of it is that they're having trouble with like relationships or they're having trouble with the relationship to themselves or how they feel. And that's what's most important. And how do you improve the relationship with yourself? Well, we talked about this. You stay committed to yourself and you end up just staying disciplined and doing the things that you know you should be doing on a daily basis to improve who you are as a person. And so what I'm getting at is that if you can get crystal clear on like why you're starting this fitness journey, and then remember that as much as you can along the way, when the scale doesn't move, or when you eat a piece of pizza, or when you have things that aren't in line with the quote unquote plan, it's not going to matter as much because A, you know that you're doing this for the, the rest of your life, hope, the rest of your life, hopefully, and B, you know that the only reason that you got started in this wasn't just to look a certain way. It was because you believed in yourself enough. You valued putting your health and fitness first and doing that on a daily basis to be able to live a good life, if that all makes sense. I mean, I think it makes perfect sense. And the reality too is that 
if people are taking a page from this book, and then also perhaps reflecting on Dr. Foreman's guest episode, which will have aired, I think, a week before this one, where he talks about being a nutritarian and ultimately looking at food as fuel and going to the right fuels for your body, that when you do take that step off and have a piece of cake or go for an ice cream, which is also kind of a social moment where you're bonding with others, then it won't be the thing that is a straw that breaks the camel back, so to speak. It's just, it was a treat. And a treat as opposed to something that is a daily ritual that could be unhealthy. And so I think that this is all part and parcel of people developing a more healthy relationship with food and nutrition. But you're also talking about something that I think is critically important for us all to keep in mind, which is regardless of all of this, self-love is really important. And so if we can love ourselves and have that be in some part connected to our why, I'm doing this for me and it's going to enable me to pick up my kids when they get a little heavier and carry them on my shoulders and or play football (laughs) with my friends after work or whatever it is, that you are engaged in that and you're enjoying life and it's part of your life as opposed to something that is an addiction that you've created into an addiction. Right. And like something that you said that I think like is important is that I think food is like a social thing in the United States. Like it's tied to to birthdays, it's tied to to holidays, it's tied to um like just different celebrations. And it's going to be a lot easier, I think, for people to work on themselves and try to have a healthier relationship with food than it is to to change the way that our country like views <laughs> food, right? So <laughs> Like you're never going to be able to do that. Like I always say, you got to control what you can. And as much as I think, you know, sometimes it can be challenging that during the holidays, it's centered around food, vacation centered around food, birthdays are centered around food. And then that can be challenging. I mean, obviously there's some good things that come along with that, but you can't change that as a single person. The only thing you can change is what you can control with yourself and how you feel about yourself and why you're doing certain things. And then also just, like really paying attention to how you're feeling along the way and then just trying to figure out like where you can adjust. Because a lot of times the way that people are feeling along this journey, there's some things that people can do. I mean, they, they can pay attention to how much sleep they're getting. They can, again, pay attention to who they're spending time with. They can see how much water they're drinking. Because a lot of times people get fatigued during a, their health journey and they want to, to quit because it's hard. I mean, that's the other thing is that once people can gain some level of acceptance that this journey is going to have its challenges and you know that they're coming, I think people, it gets easier for people because I think what happens is people, they want to make a change in the right direction. And they think that because they're making the right choice, that that's just going to be the easier path in life. And it's just not right. There's going to be challenges along the way. And so being able to accept that and also paying attention to some of these other markers in your life about sleep water, who you're spending time with, your own energy levels, your own mental health, and not being afraid to raise your hand and ask for help in some of these areas if something's bothering you, I think are very important things to keep in mind as you're, especially in the early stages of your health journey. Because I think once you reach a certain point where you've been doing it for years and you've already like built some sets and reps along the way, if you will, and you've already gotten a, built a nice strong foundation and you've got a healthy relationship with your body and food, you've taken that time. Like a lot of this just becomes, it's just something that you do. It's habit is ingrained, right? Yeah. You don't have to obsess about it. 
So I think what I'm hearing from you is the theme to wrap up what we've been talking about here is that we really might need to, in these earlier stages, do things like have a food or a health journal where you're logging how much water you drink and what your activity levels is and the foods that you eat, how you feel when you eat them, and and really just to raise your awareness about your habits now and as you incrementally improve them to get to a better health and a better physical fitness and feeling better in your own skin. Yeah, I think it's also important to pay attention to all that because like, I think the main metric that people look at when it comes to health is like the scale, right? Right. And I think we're moving away from that a little bit, but it's still a big focus for people. And then there's going to be weeks where if your goal was weight loss or weight gain or whatever it is, like the scale is not going to move just by human biology. Like there's going to be stuff that just doesn't move. And so if that's your only metric of success, you're setting yourself up for failure. And so it's important to pay attention to like, if you're somebody like you said, who likes to journal and keep track of things, what that can do is it can allow you to say, wow, like I've made it to the gym like probably 10 times in the last 10 years. I made it to the gym 10 times this month. Like, wow, that's a big win. Or wow, I can't believe I'm sleeping better. I have more energy or my like kids are like not afraid to come up and talk to me because I'm not as angry or whatever the case may be that those are all massive wins because of you dedicating yourself to bettering yourself into health and fitness. And then just paying attention to these non-scale metrics I think it is super important. And then also like if your thing isn't journaling, but maybe it's just you have like an accountability partner that you're able to talk to or you go to the gym with friends or you're in a Facebook group or you're in some sort of online forum where you're able to communicate with in whatever way works for you to not only hold yourself accountable, but to, to seek support when needed. Wow. Well, I think that's all really great advice. Now, I know that Listeners of this show may want to find out more about you. We can first direct them to your podcast, The Adversity Advantage Podcast, which is available wherever you listen. But I understand you also have a website, dougbopes.com, and that you're even providing your book, I believe it might be a couple chapters from your book or the book in its entirety as a free download. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So for the podcast, it's The Adversity Advantage Podcast wherever you get your podcast, it's also on YouTube. And then dougbopes.com has links to the books. It's got other interviews I've done. There's more about me and what I offer on there. And then social media, I'm at Doug Bopes on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And then yes, if you go to dougbopes.com slash gift, I believe, you can actually download my first book for free from Felony to Fitness to Free, which is my personal favorite because when I wrote the book, I originally actually had a ghostwriter because it was like imposter syndrome, right? And you see this a lot with things where I didn't think I was an author. I was like, well, authors are like people who write books like Harry Potter or John Grisham and like these people that actually like <laughs> became these massive authors. They all started with a pen and paper or a computer. <laughs> so, you know. And I was like, well, I'm a convicted felon and I barely graduated high school. So what, what do I know about writing a book? But eventually I ended up not using a ghostwriter and just writing the book myself. And not only has it helped people, but it's be- it became very therapeutic for me to like just get everything out and like release a lot of the tension and anger and emotion that I had about my story and about some of the stuff that I went through into something. And I think people will really enjoy it. It's pretty uh, raw. I remember when I first wrote it, one of my clients was like helping me edit it. And she was like, Doug, like you need chapters. You can't just have one chapter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not incredibly long. I think it's less than 50 pages because I was able to mostly read it before this conversation today. And I just think that 
you're so transparent about what was happening, when it was happening, how you reacted, the reality of a home life that wasn't ideal, and the role that that played, and then how you were able to step into a new version of yourself that that I think was incredibly relatable. I mean, I just felt like I fell in love with you working this story. I'm like, this guy is just all heart. I mean, what you've done with your post-prison life shows people that you can go from seemingly a lost cause, because people could have looked at you that way, and you could have looked at yourself that way, to someone who can really pick themselves up with gumption, with faith, and create a future that is one that you want to live in and that you're proud of. And so I I just think that's the message that people should take from your journey and look to you for inspiration. The interviews you conduct on your own podcast are really great. And I think if people have enjoyed any facet of this conversation, they will love your podcast. So I hope that they'll follow you there. Also, I just had a question because I didn't know if this was something you were still doing in these pandemic times, but I know you've told a story on Rich Roll's podcast as a, for example, of some people that you were interfacing with via Zoom and even training people from distance. Is that something that you're still doing today? Yeah, I'm still training. I'm still, I've been a trainer for maybe 12 years in April, man, time flies. And I, I see people, I mean, I have clients across the country in different states. And then I, I, I still see people here in person in Maryland where I live. Mm-hmm. And then like, I have a sector of my business too, where I like mentor like young adults, young adult men through fitness where they're people are, they're not feeling great about themselves mentally, or they've had struggling with addiction. And I help them kind of use fitness as a catalyst for them to help transform their lives. And I'm able to help coach them on, on mindset stuff as well. And I'm just very blessed to be where I am. And I appreciate your kind words and and the book you can download, I was just checking, it's dougbopes.com slash free. I think I said gift before, it's slash free to get the copy of my book for free. But what I wanted to say was, you know, there's so many people that they just get hyper-focused on their past and who they were. And they understand that they think that that's just the way it's going to be. And I understand that because I thought that for a long time. Like I thought that I was just destined for failure because of where my life was. And what I found was once you start to make these small steps, I'm not talking about like going from zero to a hundred. I'm not talking about going from jail cell to personal trainer. I'm talking about jail cell to like doing five pushups, 10 pushups. You begin to realize that you do have some belief in yourself and you do have some hope and that things can change. And your perspective on life, your perspective on yourself, your perspective on other people changes. And then once you find that and you realize how fruitful that how fruitful it is for you and how much better you feel, you want to find more of that and you end up building off of that. And then like you end up like just going down this path and slowly but surely like things start to change and you hit a milestone. And then that milestone, you end up like doing something else, changing some things. Then you keep going on the journey. You hit another milestone. You, you're like, wow, like I can't believe that I was able to do this. I didn't think I could and look where I was. Like what's next? Then you go and you keep going on the journey and hit another milestone. And then like years go by after doing this, you look back and you see like, holy crap, I was here and now I'm all the way over here. How did I get here? And it was just through incremental progress and just slowly building off of these small wins. And that what people have to understand is that life's not fair. I think that 
people have gone through circumstances and situations that are much more difficult than me and some that are much easier than me. And what I know is that the one thing that we all want in life is we want some sense of meaning, security, some sense of importance and peace. And we can't get that by focusing on how bad our circumstances are or how bad our circumstances were. The way to get there is to just have some self-awareness and say, okay, like these situations may have sucked, but how am I going to change? What can I control? What can I do? What choices do I have in this moment to give myself an opportunity to get what I want in life? Because if you continue to focus on the past and do those things, you're counting yourself out essentially. And I just invite people to just remember that because sometimes when you're in the thick of it and you're going through hard times, the last thing you want to do is make a change. But what I say is that when you make that change and you start down this path of living a different life, you feel so much better about yourself because you're like, man, like I deserve this and I should have been doing this a lot longer ago, but I'm so glad that I'm doing it now because it's just giving me this opportunity to have what I want in my life. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking this time with me today, Doug. And I would absolutely love to have you back so we can talk a little bit more deeply about what your journey as a personal trainer is like, perhaps some of the programs that you put people on. And so people can get kind of a, a snapshot of what it might be like to work with you directly and just gain some real tools to move forward and create more positive change for themselves. So thank you again so much. This has been my absolute honor. Thanks for having me. To find out more about Doug Bobst, drop by our show notes and you can be linked directly to his podcast and his website. I'll even include that direct link to download his book. Visit orlonutrition.com for our complete blog, transcripts, and features that you won't find anywhere else. If you have questions about what we covered today or topics that you'd like us to dive more deeply into, perhaps even when we invite Doug back on this show, hit us up on social channels at Orlo Nutrition, or you can always send me an email note directly to hello at orlonutrition.com. I also want to remind all listeners, if you have an interest in health and nutrition, you can also go ahead and receive an extra 10% off at orlonutrition.com for any of our omega-3 products, our immunity boost, and future products as well. These are available on our website and you can use the coupon code NWC10 for Nutrition Without Compromise 10. NWC10 gets you an extra 10% off at checkout. As we close today's show, I hope that you'll raise a cup of your favorite beverage with me as I say my closing words. Here's to your health. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Without Compromise. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more, visit orlonutrition.com and join our mailing list. You'll gain access to complete show notes, features, and informative blogs because nutrition shouldn't be an either or. 